Happy Monday and thank you for joining me tonight. Um, I want to start out tonight with a personal story. This is unscripted. Um, of course, there are some notes here that I'm going to be relying on to tell this story. Um, but most of it is unscripted because I just want to tell you exactly what exactly happened on late August and also for, frankly, the entire month of September in terms of me publishing episodes. Um, so I like to run. Um, and as I was growing up, one of my big inspirations for running was Jesse Owens, a legendary track star, Olympian medal recipient, just fantastic. Not only him, but my cousin Tierra as well. And when I was in middle school, I decided that I would join the cross country team to add on to my addition of my love for running, essentially. And unlike track, cross country is like you're just running uh, longer distances, longer paths, but this time it's mostly on the grass rather than being on an actual track. And so I've been doing it ever since. I did take a break from running during COVID-19 because, of course, uh, the pandemic and everyone's staying inside and quarantining and everything. And I officially rejoined this year. And on Friday, August 27th, um, I had a cross-country meet. It was pretty great. My teammates conveyed positive feedback, specifically on my pace and also my finish. And besides that, I was looking forward to a pretty eventful and joyful weekend. Because for those who are close to me, you know that I'm a huge fan of uh, Selena Quintanilla Perez. And the following Saturday, which was Saturday the 28th, There was going to be a huge Selena tribute concert scheduled, and I was so stoked for it. Um, But then something happened. As you know, I have three brothers, three younger brothers. And uh, my second youngest brother, uh, who was nine years old, started feeling cold and developed a temperature. I also glanced at him and was able to clearly tell that something was off. This was Friday evening right after that meet. So the night before what would have been this huge celebratory Selena tribute concert that all of us were planning to go to. And his temperature got checked and it was sky high. Um, He rested and he laid down. Uh, My mom then proceeded to go to the store to get a at-home COVID-19 test. Um, Basically, these tests are accurate. And what they do is they essentially, you can get these anywhere at your local store, at your local pharmacy. Basically, these tests, um, essentially, so you don't have to go to like another testing site to avoid more exposure or something. These tests can give you at-home results on COVID-19 to tell you if you're positive for the virus or if you're negative. So they're extremely convenient. Denmark started doing it last year um, uh, amid the coronavirus pandemic, and now they are becoming widespread around the world. And so she got one of these at-home COVID-19 tests, and my brother tested positive for COVID-19, and he underwent quarantine. We stayed home for about 10 days. Um... I also got tested along with my other younger brothers. I will say getting tested for COVID-19, even with the at-home test, it is not the most comfortable thing. I swear it is absolutely painful. Um, You have to go like, I think, deep down in your nostrils and it's just really excruciating, but you have to sit there in order to get those results back. Um, I got the results back. Uh, My other brothers got the results back as well. And we were both, uh, we were all both negative for COVID-19 So yeah, um, my younger brother who did test positive for COVID-19 had to wear a mask indoors and he ultimately recovered. Um, But just at nine years old, um, it goes to show you that, that the coronavirus does not target specific ages. It does not target specific political parties. Um, it does not target specific people who have done good or bad things in their lives. The coronavirus literally will target anyone. It is a virus that that is blind. And for those who have continuously said that the virus is not real or the virus is fake or it's a, it's this just this random conspiracy theory. 
or it's just a hoax. The virus is real. People are dying from the coronavirus all over the country every single day. Every single day, people are dying from the coronavirus. And yes, we asked him if he took certain precautions to protect himself about getting the about from getting the coronavirus. Of course, one of the only precautions that he could really take at this moment is, of course, wearing your mask. We have all converted back to in-person learning. We are taking precautionary measures as a result. Um, of course, he has continuously taken off his mask, which he disclosed to us after testing positive. So, of course, that's going to lead to you testing positive for the virus exactly if you're around other kids um, in school. So that does make sense. Um, but it is important to keep your mask on. I know it has been, it's been nearly two years since we've been in this pandemic. Sometimes wearing your mask can be infuriating. Even if you are fully vaccinated against COVID-19, it is still important to wear your mask specifically if you are in places where there is high transmission of COVID-19, because even though you yourself are fully vaccinated against COVID-19, it is important that you do not give COVID-19 to someone else because you can specifically and especially with the Delta variant as the CDC director has confirmed in recent days. I will also just take this uh, personal story to say that if you are or you or anyone you know are skeptical about getting the coronavirus vaccine, please do not hold back. Please do not continue to say, oh, I'm doing my research or oh, I'll just I'll just wait a second. I'll see how other people react. Or, oh, let me just continue reading about the coronavirus pandemic. Let me continue reading about this. Or let me just go on Facebook and see what others are saying about this. Please continue. Do not continue to do that. It's dangerous. It's leading to people dying. One person literally continued to say that he was doing his research. And he he went he wound up in this misinformation uh, cycle all the way on social media. And he then pled with doctors that, yeah, he finally wanted to get vaccinated. He said, right after I get out this hospital, I'm finally going to get vaccinated for COVID-19. He is now dead. It is not something that you can decide that you want to do after you're out of the hospital or when you are actually experiencing it in the hospital. You cannot then reverse course and say, oh, yeah, I want to get vaccinated now. For some people, it's effectively too late. We've heard doctors across the country and multiple doctors saying this could have been avoided. We, our hospital should not be full right now. We have vaccines out, but there are vaccine skeptics and there is misinformation flying around that people don't essentially know what to trust. What I always tell people is to never trust, never trust social media as a legitimate, effective news site. Because yeah, there are some legit articles on there, but you want to make sure that you actually do your research and not feed into misinformation because the misinformation is what is killing people. That's what's causing people to second think and to continue to be skeptical about the vaccine until it hurts their loved ones and others. The vaccine is not bad. The vaccine does not kill you. The vaccine does not, it's not magnetic as people have been saying as as this misinformation. The vaccine does not cause you, does not interfere with your pregnancy. There's so much misinformation around the vaccine that it's infuriating because we can't get large proportions of the country vaccinated against COVID-19 to save lives. The fact that people are pushing vaccine misinformation, creating videos about misinformation related to COVID-19, and doing all these sort of diabolical things promoting this propaganda, it's disgusting. 
It's causing people to die. It's killing people. But it is happening. It is happening. This is what's going on right now in the United States of America and around the world. We are having to combat misinformation on top of combating a deadly, infectious, highly contagious communicable disease. This is what we are doing right now. Please take COVID-19 seriously. It is a serious disease. It does not only kill adults or those who are seniors. It kills children as well. Many children have died from COVID-19. This is a dire situation. We are in a dire period right now as a nation. The United States has just surpassed 700,000 coronavirus deaths. On this show, I've talked a lot about the Spanish flu in 1918. Back then, even with the negligence, incompetence, and ignorance of President Woodrow Wilson, we did not get that high. But we came close. 675,000 people died in the United States from the 1918 pandemic. Just a century later, we have unfortunately passed that number. And this could have been avoided. And our death toll could have been far, far lower if it weren't for the political intervention, the lies and deception and abdication of leadership we saw multiple, multiple times under the Trump administration. Like President Trump, Woodrow Wilson, after contracting this highly contagious communicable disease, he too continued misleading the American people and downplayed it. There are historical parallels here that are disturbing and horrific. Jordan Maxwell once said, quote, Ignorance and its denial will, sad to say, lead us down the same road as it did in all past history, end quote. And although you can't fix the past, you can try to ensure that the future doesn't fall apart too. The current U.S. president is Joe Biden, and in early June, the Delta variant started becoming prevalent after traveling from India, where they experienced a huge outbreak in coronavirus cases. Within the past weeks, the Delta variant has caused an exponential rise in coronavirus cases, which has created devastating situations across the country. For example, Alaska, the largest state in the United States, is having to ration care. Pregnant women delivering babies in their car, also many patients waiting in their cars for hours. The medical staff at Providence Alaska Medical Center in Anchorage, Alaska said this month, quote, People from all around Alaska depend on Providence to provide medical care for people statewide. Unfortunately, we are unable to continue to meet this need. We no longer have the staff, the space, or the beds. Due to the scarcity, we are unable to provide life-saving care to everyone who needs it. End quote. The state's population is 58% fully vaccinated and hospitals are having to put in place crisis of standard care because of a massive shortage of beds and staff. Reportedly, Alaska's average test positivity rate is at a record high of 10.12%, meaning approximately 1 in 10 coronavirus tests came back positive. According to epidemiologists, a positivity rate above 5% can mean that widespread transmission within the community and indicate the need for more testing. Nevertheless, officials in Anchorage are preparing to cut back on testing. They said that they're doing this because of inadequate funding for the testing, which has become of higher demand because of Alaska's rising case numbers. As of last week, cases in the state are declining, but health officials are cautiously optimistic about that. Uh, This was the headline at the New York Times last Wednesday, quote, an Alaska COVID crisis Doctors must decide who lives and who dies. The subheadline reads, quote, Amid the nation's worst COVID-19 outbreak, patients are trapped in remote communities and doctors are prioritizing treatment based on who is most likely to survive. Dr. Stephen Florensugar, um, 
gathered with his colleagues for an amaze for an agonizing discussion. They had a better chance of saving one patient in the emergency room. They determined the other person would have to wait. That patient died. This is the gut wrenching. This is gut wrenching, and I never thought I'd have to see it," said Doctor Flintringer, who has been in practice for 30 years. We are taxed to a point of making decisions of who will and who will not live. Since that night, more grim choices have to be made as Alaska confronts what is currently the nation's worst coronavirus outbreak. Nearly two years after the virus began circulating in the United States, some of the scenes here on the country's northern frontier echo the darkest early days of the pandemic. Testing supplies are depleted. Patients are being treated in hallways, and doctors are rationing oxygen with emergency rooms overwhelmed. The governor has asked hundreds of medical workers to fly in from around the country to help. End quote. On Kodiak Island in southern Alaska, doctors are spending their entire shifts desperately searching for beds in other states where patients can receive care. According to the Guardian, one doctor said they even sent a patient to Seattle, Washington. Which is thousands of miles away. The Anchorage Daily News said, "Quote: If Alaska were a country, it would be the nation with the most, with the world's highest per capita case rate." End quote. That really puts things into perspective. There to sort of understand the dire situation they are in right now.、Uh, listen here to Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski giving a speech on the Senate floor, describing the personal effect this has had on her and her family. For anyone else to come to that particular. Medical facility. I had been at Fairbanks Memorial Hospital, actually、uh, there on an emergency,、uh, not myself, but with、uh, another individual. Go to the emergency room, and as we were waiting for the doctors to come and address this non-COVID-related medical emergency, I was advised. By the evening supervisor, that Fairbanks Memorial Hospital was at capacity within their ICU, and what that meant was that because Fairbanks Memorial was at capacity, and as of that evening, all of the other hospitals in Alaska that could care in an ICU capacity were filled, and so I was told that my loved one may be in a situation. If he needed to be in the ICU, that I needed to prepare myself and my and 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 others, that he may be sent to Seattle or Portland that night. For those of you that don't know your geography, there that is that is a three three and a half hour flight by jet.、Um, would have been a medevac. It's thousands of miles away. That's what's happening. In Alaska right now, when your hospitals are full, you just can't put them in an ambulance and take them to another town. We're taking these folks to another state. And again, keep in mind the reason that I was there that evening with this individual was not COVID-related, but that's the squeeze, that's the pressure that it puts on the rest of your system. "Quote: That's the pressure it puts on the rest of your system." End quote. Now. What essentially what Senator Lisa Murkowski is saying is that hey, you don't have to have COVID 
um, to be experiencing what Alaskan what Alaska hospitals are going through right now. And you don't have to be a COVID patient or you don't have to be someone who has COVID who's trying to get into that hospital uh, or any hospital in Alaska to be dealing with this, to be experiencing this trauma and to be experiencing uh, Alaskan hospitals rationing care. Because as you just heard her say there, she had to take in a family member for an emergency that was unrelated to COVID-19. This is affecting everyone. The largest state in the nation right now is going through a dire, dire time. And the response by some is just making things worse. Like most U.S. states, Alaska is facing anti-maskers and vaccine skeptics. This has led to harassment of public health officials. I mean, it's just absolutely terrible. Uh, This is reporting from the New York Times here, quote, When the Anchorage Assembly considered a mask mandate last week, some of the doctors who came to speak were jeered at, quote, Do you use ivermectin? Someone in the crowd shouted, referring to a dewarming medicine that has been touted as a COVID-19 treatment. I will also tell you that ivermectin is also used specifically to treat horses. But because of conspiracy theories and misinformation, this is what people are taking down, which is absolutely deadly. I advise absolutely against it vociferously. The article continues here, quote, on social media, even as the Food and Drug Administration has warned people against taking it. As a group of doctors left the meeting, one person followed them outside heckling. You guys have sold out and are liars, he shouted. Others outside holding signs, liberty or tyranny. One of them said also mocked the physicians. Dr. Leslie Gunsetti, an internal medicine hospitalist who often works at Providence Alaska Medical Center, um, said some of her colleagues had debated whether to even go to the meeting. Quote, there was an element of caution and worry for our safety, she said. But in the end, she added, they concluded that they had an obligation to tell people about the calamitous scenes playing out at hospitals. End quote. Once again, that was reporting from uh, the New York Times there on the harassment that doctors in Alaska are facing right now. PBS NewsHour also picked up on that story, writing here, quote, um, this is from one of the doctors, quote, one of the worst things, uh, one of the worst thing that's happened right now is the hostility towards healthcare workers. And this is a very vocal minority, but hospitals and medical providers have been receiving harassing phone calls, threats. They are getting demands from for treatments that have been proven ineffective or are not approved. Sometimes even patients that are being treated for COVID in the hospitals are being very hostile and denying that they even have COVID. So it can be a really difficult place to be providing care right now. So these are the scenes right now in Alaska as they are going through this very, very difficult time right now. Now, as I said, there are two different responses that are just causing many problems right now. One is um, public health officials and doctors in the state being harassed. And also, two would be the governor of the state now, apparently again, according to the Anchorage Daily News, turning down COVID-19 emergency requested by House Democrats and Independents. And reportedly, he has turned this down again. I'll make sure to leave that article in the description of this episode. Right now in Pennsylvania, COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations are rising among the vaccinated in Pennsylvania. Yes, you heard me right. That is, they are rising among the vaccinated. This is from the Associated Press. Quote, the proportion of COVID-19 infections and hospitalizations among vaccinated Pennsylvanians rose sharply last month, reflecting the fact that a higher percentage of the population has now gotten the shot, but also likely the protection has waned somewhat, state health officials said Friday. The latest Department of Health data 
on so-called breakthrough infections shows that between September 5th and October 4th, vaccinated people represented just over a quarter, 26% of more than 135,000 new infections and nearly 5,000 hospital admissions across the state. Death statistics for the latest 30 days were not available because of lags in reporting and verification. When the health department released its initial set of data on breakthrough cases, September 14th, just 6% of cases and 5% of hospitalizations since January were among vaccinated residents. As more people get vaccinated, the number of vaccinated people who contract the virus and wind up in the hospital will inevitably represent a greater share of the overall total. State health officials cited the mathematical certainty, but also the rise of the highly transmissible Delta variant. Quote, the vaccines were designed to prevent severe illness and hospitalization, but no vaccine is 100%, the state's acting physician general, Dr. Denise Johnson, said in a phone interview. As we have more people vaccinated, there will be more cases in those vaccinated people. It doesn't mean the vaccines aren't working. They're working as designed. End quote. The situation in Pennsylvania mirrors what is happening nationally, according to the Associated Press. Breakthrough cases accounted for 14% of U.S. hospitalizations and 16% of deaths in June and July, about twice the percentage as earlier in the year, according to a study released this month, uh, last month, by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So this is the national and local response right now in terms of the coronavirus pandemic. As Alaska is leading the nation in the worst coronavirus cases ever, the Anchorage Daily News saying that if Alaska was a country, it have it'd be essentially the worst in the world right now uh, for cases per capita. Right now, the United States has 44.3 million coronavirus cases, actually more than that. More than 714,000 of our fellow Americans have died from this disease. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci telling Americans, hey, do not declare premature victory over COVID-19 just because things are starting to get locks again. We should keep an eye on this. The director of the CDC recently saying that the end of this pandemic depends on human behavior. We are going to have more reporting on the coronavirus pandemic and particularly um, the conspiracy theorists who are now moving into school board meetings across the country and also danger against healthcare workers, death threats against healthcare workers. We're going to have more reporting on that in a special report coming ahead on the Jeremiah Patterson show coming in recent days. We're going to be working on that, putting that together so you can um, take a listen to that. Um, but if you are unvaccinated against COVID-19, please get vaccinated. Please do. If not for you, then to protect your family members. Because if my nine-year-old brother can get COVID-19, anyone can. Luckily, I'm vaccinated against COVID-19, so is my mother, so that was protection there against our immune systems. But if you are not vaccinated against COVID-19, please do get vaccinated. It will release a strain off our healthcare officials who are having to fight all across the country just to save lives and deciding who lives and who dies. If you do not want you or any of your family members to be in that dangerous, dark, life or death scenario, then please, please roll up your sleeve and get the shot. Whether you put down your phone to be there for your daughter or pick up your phone to call a helpline for your roommate, When it comes to mental health, now more than ever, 
Every action counts. So about two months ago in late August, Hurricane Ida made landfall as a Category 4 in Louisiana. Now, before it made landfall, Louisiana's Governor John Bill Edwards gave a pretty unsettling caveat. He said that this would be the worst hurricane since the 1850s. That obviously caused huge concern for residents, which led to major optional evacuations, major evacuations. And when the hurricane finally did make landfall in Louisiana, it did so on the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. It was 16 years ago on August 29, 2005, when Hurricane Katrina made landfall in Louisiana as a Category 5. The city of New Orleans had levees because of the climate crisis. For a while, the city had been sinking below sea level and still is today. This was quite dire, so they built levees to bolster the protection, the city's protection, against a natural disaster like a hurricane. But that did not work. It was just absolutely catastrophic. For weeks, people were left without drinking water and electricity. Many residents were stranded on rooftops, and that's when we began seeing horrific footage on national television of people waving umbrellas and holding up signs that read, Help Us. Bodies were floating in the streets. Looting occurred. Thousands of people began traveling to the Superdome in hope of being evacuated. At the Superdome, the conditions were essentially unhealthy. People lacked food, water, and sanitation. It was just a humanitarian crisis. And in addition to that, the federal government was just abdicating its leadership. When the Bush administration finally did try to resolve this situation, they had to first fire the International Arabian Horse Association guy, which was Michael Brown, who was the director of FEMA at the time, who had no experience with emergencies, and he also made jokes during the hurricane over email. So they fired him, and after that botched response, after that botched governmental response, they brought in someone new with experience and commitment. He was Lieutenant General Russell Honore. And by the time he was put in charge for the thousands of Americans who had already died, it was too late. However, his leadership on the ground was superb. It was expeditious, commanding, and strategic. So that was about 16 years ago during Hurricane Katrina in 2005 in Louisiana. Hurricane Ida caused mass destruction, powder outages, and left no adequate water supply as well. Ida then downgraded to a Category 2 after leaving the state, subsequently uh, becoming a tropical storm. Despite the status, the roaring storm just ripped through Mississippi. Uh, Furthermore, it left the Northeast with catastrophic flooding, people's basements caving in, walls collapsing, houses destroyed by tornadoes, families trapped, This was indeed the work of the climate crisis, and that brings me to our TJPS special report, The Climate Crisis, an Existential Threat to Our Future. Hurricane Ida couldn't have been, couldn't have come at a worse time. Louisiana, like the rest of the nation, was already dealing with the coronavirus pandemic, and now they have, now they had to prepare for a hurricane? Within hours, Ida closed in on the state as a life-threatening Category 4 storm. On the night of Saturday, August 29th, the entire city of New Orleans was without power. Like Katrina, Ida trapped people in their attics as levees failed again. By 9.30 a.m. on August 30th, this was the front page of the Washington Post, quote, Ida leaves one dead, million without power, as it heads into Mississippi. Another headline read, quote, it could be days or weeks before power is restored in New Orleans. As Louisiana hospitals, damage transpired as medical staff and personnel quickly moved to transfer them to another patients to another facility. Um, from partially torn roofs to fell generators, water leaks, and shattered windows, the conditions were just dire. 
As time went by, the news out of Louisiana just did not improve. The Associated Press reporting that there was no power, water, or gas in the state. Governor John Bell Edwards urging residents not to return here because of destroyed critical infrastructure. Officials in Jefferson Parish saying, quote, leave absolutely if you can, end quote. According to CNN, many businesses that survived Hurricane Katrina and also the pandemic are now having to deal with the damage from Hurricane Ida. Antonio Huez, reporting at the Rolling Stone, um, essentially reported at Rolling Stone on how residents in St. James Parish, Louisiana, were hit hard by Ida and now need help and are demanding change. Sharon Lavinge, for instance, in the, is the founder of Rise St. James and is 69 years old. And she just watched an oil spill, which of course caused a fire and released the smell of chemicals into the air. That's why St. James is also nicknamed Cancer Alley because of all the toxic oil operations in that part of the state. Reportedly, this puts residents at a greater risk of cancer, hence the name Cancer Alley, and other respiratory diseases. Rolling Stone reports that respiratory illnesses caused by air pollution is a pre-existing condition that makes COVID-19 more deadly, which is just devastating because St. James Parish has already been battered by the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. So, that just makes things worse. There is no power in St. James Parish, including hospitals, stores, gas stations, and parts of the fossil fuel industry. And without power, that leaves the danger of deadly extreme heat. Reportedly, Ida did more damage to Louisiana's power grid than Hurricane Katrina, Delta, and Zeta combined. Think about it. Think about that in the terms and also in the eyes of the climate crisis. Hurricane Katrina left people on their roofs. The levees failed. Yes, there was an abdication of leadership from the federal government. Delta last year, also Zeta last year, caused significant damage. But Hurricane Ida, August of 2021, Hurricane Ida caused the most, it, is, it caused the most damage to the state's power grid. With all three of those hurricanes combined, all three of those ginormous hurricanes combined, and Hurricane Ida did the most destruction to the state's power grid. That really puts it into perspective for you. For WWL News uh, reports that Entergy, an energy company, said that more than 27,000 restoration workers from 41 states are working together on repairs. Also think about that. There are 50 states in the U.S. 27,000 restoration workers from 41 out out of those 50 states are working together on repairs in Louisiana. Wow. In that Rolling Stone article uh, that I just mentioned earlier, there's also an interview in there by Miss by Miss Lavinge uh, that's worth reading. That will be linked in the description of this episode. Here's just a little bit of what's said in that interview. The interviewer asked, quote, what was it like when the storm hit? Uh, Sharon, um, she responds, quote, I was in my home. In my bedroom, I heard that the window and trees howling. I saw some of the tin metal roof falling on the ground. I was afraid it may fall back and break my window in my bedroom, but that didn't happen. Afterward, I went upstairs to look at my son's room when he was living there. The water was all over the wood floor. The ceiling had collapsed and the third floor above his floor. It had an opening in the roof. You can see the sky. And then we went to the master bedroom. I saw a small break in the ceiling. It was that bad. The next day, I saw more of the stuff falling down. And the next day, over half of the ceiling fallen on 
my bed. And that's the bed where my mother had before she died. I wanted that bed for sentimental reasons, and I hope the bed is not completely damaged. That's why I'm praying. In my living room, the water was falling out like a faucet. I had three buckets to catch water over there. In my kitchen, water on the sheetrock. It looks like it's about to pop. The ceiling is sitting there looking at me. So far, it hasn't fallen. But if there would have been another hard rain, that ceiling would have just come down. All my wood floors are destroyed. I've never seen, I've never been through anything this bad since I've been living in my home since 1987. It looked like a cyclone came through town. It was terrible. It was awful. Some homes were totally destroyed and many people don't have insurance. My friend's mobile home is totally demolished, but he wasn't in there. So thank God for that. All up and down this road, downed power lines. The poles are crooked. My son lives two doors down from me and a tree fell on his roof. End quote. According to the Louisiana Department of Education, uh, more than 70,000 students remain out of school because of Ida. Many school districts in New Orleans and Baton Rouge were able to reopen, but these hard-hit coastal and rural communities are going to take more time recovering, getting power restored, and getting new things if, say, for instance, your house was destroyed or flooded or completely damaged by Ida. The Associated Press recently reported that the prominent oil and gas company Shell lost a whooping, a whopping $500 million as a result of disruptions caused by Hurricane Ida. Because Ida caused destruction to a local government property, um, the mayor of Kenner City has moved City Hall to the Esplande Mall until restruction. The city government will be temporarily operating inside the Macy's building in the mall. A $1.8 million contract has just been awarded to repair Highway 26 in George County, Mississippi, where multiple people died after a road collapsed um, due to damage from Hurricane Ida. So the recovery is still underway, nearly two months after Hurricane Ida wreaked havoc and caused death. If you'd like to donate or help victims of Hurricane Ida, I'll make sure to leave those links in the description of this episode. But there is clear, irrefutable evidence here, and that is climate change is real. It is serious. This is now effectively a crisis, and we are all living through it. Hurricane Ida was just the latest, the latest, terrible, horrific living proof of this crisis. We'll be right back. Introducing Tide Power Pods. With Cat and Nat. I love how much I can stuff into these machines. But that is such a large load. Don't the stains sneak through? Please. New Tide Power Pods can clean that whole situation. You just toss it in before the close. It's like two regular Tide Pods and then some power and then even more power. With 50% more cleaning power, even your large load got clean. How many kids do you have? Girl, I lost track. There's a lot of kids. And then there's a husband. And then there's me. That's a lot of clothes. Welcome back. So upon my return last month, I told you that we'd have some astonishing and head-turning news for you on the Surfside condo collapse. And that is definitely, definitely indeed the case. Right now, at four, multiple people arrested in a scheme targeting victims of the Surfside condo collapse. And you saw this story exclusively first on 10. Now we're learning more about the suspects caught using those stolen identities to shop at the mall. And they were seen on surveillance video purchasing high-priced items with debit cards. They opened in the victims' names. Local 10's Ian Margo live with more on this. 
These three people are accused of taking advantage of one of the worst disasters in recent history here in South Florida, really all over the U.S. Let's show you who they are first. The first one is 30-year-old Betsy Alejandro Cacho, Alejandra Cacho, excuse me, Medina, 38-year-old Rodney Chote, and 34-year-old Kimberly Michelle Johnson. All of them charged with multiple felony counts, including organized scheme to defraud, identity fraud, and possession of counterfeit driver's licenses. Now, the state attorney called them professionals. They said pretty much nothing except for their names were legitimate. Their IDs, their car registrations, their addresses, none of it was real. Now, this morning, they were taken into custody, accused of using the identities of multiple victims of the Surfside collapse and taking out debit or credit cards in their names, then using them to spend a lot of money in places like the Aventura Mall and the Miami Design District. In this surveillance video we'll show you here, you can actually see a woman who is allegedly Medina holding a Versace purse we're told she bought using one of those stolen cards and then actually using those cards to buy even more things in that video. They did this a lot, spending thousands and thousands of dollars on things like expensive shoes and gift cards. The state attorney said they took victims' names from news reports and other places, then called credit card companies pretending to be them, saying they lost everything in the collapse. Take a listen. Yes, because I was a victim of the um, towers that just collapsed, the Surfside, and all my oh. personal vehicles were in there. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Sorry about that. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Oh, okay. Let me go ahead and get you cleared up here, and then your card will work going forward. So at a news conference today, State Attorney Catherine Fernandez-Rundle told us this trio was wasted absolutely no time. In fact, they say the first indication they got about all of this going on was actually about only two weeks after the collapse. As of today, we are aware of seven victims who were impacted. Five were deceased and two were fortunately are alive and well today. So again, they called them Pros. In addition to the seven people that were affected by the Champlain Towers, they say there were two other victims unaffected by the Champlain Towers, completely unrelated, that were also victims of their identity theft. If convicted, they could face anywhere from 15 to 30 years maximum. Stay with us for the very latest on this developing case. For now, we are live in Miami. I'm Ian Margo, Local 10 News. Once again, that was reporting from Local 10 News out of Miami, Florida, um, where you heard that voicemail there just absolutely, um, you know, it it just breaks your heart to hear that. Also, you just feel infuriated hearing that, that someone would actually do something like this. But of course, in the example of uh, natural disasters and also horrific incidents like this, of course, people are going to exploit the situation to turn it into their own for their own personal gain and to do things that's just it's absolutely diabolical. But this is the world we live in. Um, we got more ahead tonight, including some breaking news related to something that I was just talking about at the top of the show related to the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, this is news that you are going to want to hear. We'll be right back. If you looked at America like a bird, and that was all you knew. Would you really understand it with just that point of view? We've got a different way to look at it from right here on the ground. We don't just see United States, we see United Towns. From where we sit, just down the street, near the post office, by the park, when we stop and look around, 
what we see are sparks. Sparks of hope, of compassion, of communities who stand firm. When neighbors lift each other up, expecting nothing in return. We're grateful for what you bring and all the sparks you've shown and the thousands of towns that we get to call home. All right, welcome back. So we have some breaking news here for you. So um, to give you a little bit of historical context, um, a couple of weeks ago, the president of the United States, President Joe Biden, um, decided that he was going to implement some vaccine mandates for the coronavirus pandemic. And the president does have legal authority to do this. Um, it is with our historical examples of presidents doing this all the way back to President Lyndon B. Johnson. Uh, essentially, some vaccine mandates for people in different places, different workplaces. And these vaccine mandates have been effective. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that as well on our upcoming TJPS special report on the coronavirus and harassment against public health officials and all this. But essentially what the news is breaking here is that um, Texas Governor Greg Abbott is now issued a order banning COVID-19 vaccination mandates in rebuke of President Joe Biden. Um, now, this could turn into a litigation fight, um, but we're going to continue reporting on this. Uh, this is according to NBC News, quote, Abbott has also resisted mass mandates and acquiring proof of vaccination in the state. Uh, the reporting continues, quote, Texas Governor Greg Abbott issued an executive order Monday prohibiting any entity, including private businesses, from imposing COVID-19 vaccination requirements on employees or customers. The COVID-19 vaccine is safe, effective, and our best defense against the virus, but should remain voluntary and never forced, Abbott said in a statement. Abbott, a Republican, said in his order that was, it was prompted by the Biden's administration's vaccine vaccination mandate, which he said was federal overreach. President Joe Biden announced a mandate last month requiring companies with 100 or more employees to ensure that their workforces are vaccinated or regularly tested. The Labor Department has yet to release details on the emergency rule, but Biden last week called on companies to act now and not wait for the requirement to go into effect effect. Abbott, who tested positive for COVID in August, has also resisted mass mandates and requiring proof of vaccination. Texas has also continued to experience a rise in cases in crowded hospitals, prompting Abbott to invest in monoclonal antibody infusion centers. Abbott issued executive orders in the summer over the summer banning local governments and school districts from requiring either masks or vaccinations, including issuing $1,000 fines to those who failed to comply. School districts in San Antonio and Dallas, Texas, have challenged the order in court. The legislator also passed a bill in June banning private businesses from requiring proof of vaccination for customers. In Monday's order, Abbott also sent a memo asking the chief clerk of the state's house and the secretary of state's senate to codify the mandate in a bill. He said that the order would be rescinded when the GOP's controlled legislator passed the bill. Other Republican state Blood states have taken similar approaches. Montana passed a bill banning vaccination requirements by employers. Florida also banned businesses from requiring proof of vaccinations this year. End quote. So it's also taking the lead there. Um, yeah, no mask um, in schools, no mask requirements, no vaccination requirements, no vaccine mandates. Um, 
Yeah, so this is what we are going through right now. And once again, the breaking news um, here that Governor Greg Abbott, Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott, has issued a order banning COVID-19 vaccination mandates um, in rebuke of President Joe Biden's federal order um, to issue vaccine mandates specifically in businesses um, to essentially halt um, what is becoming a widespread resurgence of coronavirus cases. United Airlines uh, just did this, and now nearly, I believe, 99% of their workforce is vaccinated over threatening to either get the vaccine or be fired because of this new mandate. We're going to keep an eye on this story here on The Jeremiah Patterson Show. Thank you for listening to this episode. Have a great day. Remember to stay positive and inspired. I know that was a lot to take in there. Uh, But take care. Remember to stay safe and healthy. Also, please continue to wear your mask. Um, And I will see you soon.